Good morning. Today is November 8th, 2020. We are reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We're reading in the chapter, We Agnostics. We'll be reading from page 47, that last line, besides a seeming inability to accept much on faith. And we'll be reading through page 50, the third full paragraph on one proposition. However, these men and women are strikingly agreed. Our um, reader today is Rita, and our guest speaker for 20 minutes is Dee. So good morning, Rita. Thanks for your service. Good morning. Thank you. Besides the seeming inability to accept much on faith, we often find ourselves handicapped by obstinacy, sensitiveness, and unreasoning prejudice. Many of us have been so touchy that even casual reference to spiritual things made us bristle with antagonism. The sort of thinking had to be abandoned. Though some of us resisted, we found no great difficulty in casting aside such feelings. Faced with alcoholic destruction, we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters as we had tried to be on other questions. In this respect, alcohol was a great persuader. It finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. Sometimes this was a tedious process. We hope no one else will be prejudiced for as long as some of us were. The reader may still ask why he should believe in a power greater than himself. We think there are good reasons. Let, let us have a look at them. The practical individual of today is a stickler for facts and results. Nevertheless, the 20th century readily accepts theories of all kinds, provided they are firmly ground in fact. We have numerous theories, for example, about electricity. Everybody believes them without a murmur of doubt. Why this ready acceptance? Simply because it is impossible to explain what we see, feel, direct, and use without a reasonable assumption as a starting point. Everybody nowadays believes in, in scores of assumptions for which there is good evidence, but no perfect visual proof. And does not science demonstrate that visual proof is the weakest proof? Is it being constantly revealed as mankind studies the material world that outward appearances are not inward reality at all? To illustrate, the prosaic steel girder is a mass of electrons whirling around each other at incredible speed. These tiny bodies are governed by precise laws, and these laws hold true throughout the material world. Science tells us so. We have no reason to doubt it. When, however, the perfectly logical assumption is suggested that underneath the material world and life as we see it, there is an all-powerful guiding creative intelligence right there our perverse streak comes to the surface and we laboriously set out to convince ourselves it isn't so. We read wordy books and indulge in windy arguments, thinking we believe this universe needs no God to explain it. Were our contentious true, it would follow that life or, or originated out of nothing, means nothing and proceeds nowhere. Instead of regarding ourselves as intelligent agents, spearheads of God's ever advancing creation, we agnostics and atheists chose to believe that our human intelligence was the last word, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end of all. Rather vain of us, wasn't it? We who have traveled this dubious path beg you to lay aside prejudice, even against organized religion. We have learned that whatever the human frailties of various faiths may be, those faiths have given purpose and direction to millions. People of faith have a log logical idea of what life is all about. Actually, we used to have no reasonable con conception whatever. We used to amuse ourselves by cynically dissecting spiritual beliefs and practices, 
when we might have observed that many spiritually minded persons of all races, colors and creeds were demonstrating a degree of stability, happiness and usefulness, which we should have sought ourselves. Instead, we looked at the human defects of these people and sometimes used their shortcomings as a basis of a wholesale condemnation. We talked of intolerance while we were intolerant ourselves. We missed the reality and the beauty of the forest because we were diverted by the ugliness of some of its trees. We never gave the spiritual side of a life a fair hearing. In our personal stories, you will find a variation in the way each teller approaches and conceives of the power which is greater than himself. Whether we agree with the particular approach or conception seems to make little difference. Experience has taught us that, our, that these are matters about which for our purpose, we need not be worried. They are questions for each individual to settle himself. On one proposition, however, these men and women are strikingly agreed. Every one of them has gained access to and believes in a power greater than himself. This power has in each case accomplished the miraculous, the humanly impossible. As a celebrated American statesman put it, let's look at the record. Thank you. Okay, so um, thank you so much, Rita. And next we're gonna have Dee share for approximately 20 minutes on the reading. Good morning, Dee. Oh, I can. All right, good morning, Kim. And good morning, everybody. Um, I'm Dee, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And to begin, I'd like to qualify. I was in OA for two years and I was abstinent and lost weight. But notice I didn't say I was recovered. I thought I had learned what to do and everything I needed to know. So I left the meetings and I left OA and I was in relapse for 17 years, determined to find a way to lose weight on my own and by the way, to prove I was not a compulsive eater. I wasn't successful with that. And I finally returned to OA, surrendered and willing to listen this time. I was abstinent and in recovery for 12 years and then relapsed. I am now abstinent and in recovery for 21 months and very grateful for that. And so when I returned to OA, I accepted I was powerless over food. I had certainly proved that to myself, but I stumbled on step two. And it says here, besides a seeming inability to accept much on faith, we often found ourselves handicapped by obstinacy, sensitiveness and unreasoning prejudice. But I didn't think that was me because I always believed in God. So I actually skipped reading the chapter on step two in the 12 and 12, and I skimmed through this chapter, We Agnostics. Talk about being arrogant and prideful and stubborn and still stuck in doing things my way. That was me. Finally heard someone say agnostic means without, car without knowledge and realized wasn't that me? 
I had, may have believed in God, but I was surely without knowledge of where God was in my life. I was like a robot, really. I said I believed in God, but my actions and behavior showed I was still running the show. I directed God when I prayed. I was very disconnected from God and needed to have a lot of control in my life. I certainly had a lot to learn along with the atheist and agnostic. My first sponsor had such patience with me. When I would tell her that I was worried or anxious about something my children might do, um, she would ask me, oh, could I predict the future? Could I see into the future? Could I see around corners? Did I know what was gonna happen when others didn't? And so I, that made me think, you know, made me realize that I was worrying and very anxious and fearful about something that might never happen. The other question she would often ask me is when I would tell her, especially when I was fearful about what was gonna to happen to my brother-in-law who was very sick at the time, she would ask, did I pray? And I would have to answer honestly, no. And that happened three or four times. And suddenly, stubbornly, I was determined the next time she asked me, did I pray, I was gonna be able to say yes. And that's how she gradually taught me. And I listened. Instead of using food for everything, I started praying and asking God for help. And whenever I felt like quitting, when I thought it was too much for me to go on, I remembered how miserable and how much I suffered when I was in my disease. Um, that to go back to that behavior was unacceptable to me anymore. And it was also so painful and miserable. And the hope that I was hearing in the rooms um, and my newfound abstinence gave me the confidence and the courage to go on one day at a time. My disease, so I too found that my disease of compulsive overeating was a great motivator. That kept me going and learning to turn to God more and remembering I was powerless over food. Um, and actually somebody in the room said that um, I had been using, they had been using food as their higher power. And I thought, oh my goodness, another light bulb went off. I was turning to food as my higher power whenever my feelings inside of me were getting too strong for me. And um, that's ridiculous, you know, but it, it opened my eyes, it made me look. And, it, and when I wasn't turning to food, I was relying on myself to, to control and to somehow arrange everybody's life around me. So little by little, I was, making changes. But, you know, Bill goes on to give us more examples for those that are still not convinced. And one of the examples that he uses is electricity. And I do not understand how electricity works. Um, 
and, and it causes some fear in me. But um, I know that if I stick my finger in the socket, I'm gonna get shocked. I know if I turn the light switch on the wall, the light is gonna go on. And I know that if I plug a hairdryer in it, and turn it on, it's gonna work. So even though I don't understand electricity and I can't see electricity, I believe it works. Well, I can apply the same thing to God. I can't see God and I don't always understand God at all, but God is always present and she works too. Another example that he, Bill uses is the steel girder. And I'm not really a fan of this. <laughs> I, I don't need this pointed out to me, but he says, and I believe him, that a steel girder is a mass of whirling electrons. And um, <laughs> now every time I drive across the bridge, I'm thinking, Oh my God, my life depends on these whirly electrons keep on doing their job. And um, <laughs> so guess what? Now I'm praying to God as I cross the bridge <laughs> to keep me safe. Um, but it just makes me realize how many things I am willing to put my life on the line for and how many things I am willing to believe even though I don't understand it. And so again, this brings me back to why don't I believe more in God? And, um, and that, is, that is really my struggle. It's, it's not so much a belief in God as, um, as I still don't trust God in my life. I am still running the show. And I trust God with the world and the universe. How else do the clouds stay up in the sky? Or how is it possible for me to see, see stars so far away? How does the moon affect the tides? On and on. And when I slow down, when I quiet my mind, I can believe God is in every living thing, even rocks and even me. So I believe there is a God out there because to do otherwise would mean there is no God and all was created for nothing. Poof, magic, right? But I still wasn't trusting God in my everyday life with myself and with others. It was difficult to believe that with God taking care of the whole universe that she had time for me. That involves a shortcoming of mine. That's on me, not on God. I tried to skate by and nobody saw me or nobody noticed or nobody knows me. So, so God won't notice me either. I'm, she's too busy. I hide behind this shortcoming when I don't want to make the effort to do my part. In, in life. And then Bill goes on to, um, to talk about organized religion. And here Bill W. begs us to let go of our prejudice against our religion. And once again, um, 
I know from reading this big book over and over that Bill uses particular words to express what he wants to say. And so the fact that he uses the word begs us to let go of our prejudice against religion really catches my attention. And I have to say that I practiced my religion all my life until recently. I went to church every week, excuse me, but now I had to take another look and find out how much religion I had in my life during the week. How much did I pray? Only when I was in crisis. How much was I helping others? Only with what help I thought they needed. I never thought to ask them, what would you like me to do? Or how can I help you? I just took charge and gave them what I thought they needed. Did I live out my religion with my family, friends, eventually co-workers? Did I gossip? Was I kind and loving? Did I apologize when I was wrong? Did I even admit I made a mistake? So I had to take a long look at what part my religion had in my life and what I found was it was lacking. I wasn't allowing the religion to, um, and I was blaming it on the religion, but I was the one that was not allowing religion to come into me. <laughs> and when I was in recovery and still going to church, I was suddenly amazed at how much religion now knew about the 12 steps and what they had taught me. Um, today, I live by the very profound OA motto, live and let live. I try not to criticize religion or the people who have found a home and God in organized religion. I try not to be intolerant. Also in the rooms, I find a wide variation of our beliefs about God. And we hear these differences. And, um, you know, when people share, we've been encouraged to um, make our own conception of God and to, you know, change what we need. And so, yeah, there's gonna be some conceptions of God that I may not see and Others probably don't understand how I have my conception of God now. I don't think that is a point to argue at all, though. As the big book says, they are questions for each individual to settle for himself or herself. All that is asked of each of us is to find a power greater than ourselves, a power that can do for me what I couldn't do for myself. I will end with two questions. If you are still trying to do this yourself, how is that working for you? And the other question is, do you know anyone in OA who is living in recovery without a higher power? And thank you so much for the opportunity to share. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dee. Claire to end the recording.